talked about how God is knowable, that we can know Him through His creation, and we can know Him through His Word, and we can know Him through this wonderful salvation that He has given us. Uh, and then last week we talked about how God is Trinitarian, uh, that He's one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and how all three of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are active in helping us experience God's love and His grace. Uh, well, this morning, uh, what we're going to talk about is, is what it means for God to be spirit. What it means for God to be spirit. Uh, and I think, uh, as all these things are important, I think this is really important and it's really uh, prescient for our time, because actually, uh, this desire for spirituality is growing in our world. Uh, maybe one of the common narratives that you see is that, uh, one of the common narratives that people thought was that as the world got more and more progressive, more and more technological, more and more advanced, that spirituality would actually kind of decrease. What we're seeing in the world is actually the exact opposite. That as, as the world's becoming more technologically advanced, people are actually becoming more curious about spiritual things. They're pursuing spirituality more. Uh, a couple months ago, I got to hear from a missionary to the United Kingdom uh, that has been spiritually dead for decades. And he said now they're seeing signs of spiritual life like they've never seen before. Uh, he, he's got a church that he's planted, and their church is growing and thriving. They literally have people coming in off the streets to worship with him. Uh, they started a, a Bible study in a coffee shop where all they offer is free coffee and the opportunity to sit and talk with someone out the, about the Bible. And they're having people coming in off the streets just for coffee and conversation. That they're, they're so... Um, their, their, their spirit, their soul is so deprived of people and of these spiritual conversations that they're willing to come in and talk to complete strangers about it. Uh, we're seeing uh, similar things in the U.S. where there's, there's an increase, a rise in, in interest in New Age religions and mysticism. Um, Christianity itself is growing and becoming more popular, not just, uh, maybe not in the U.S., but all over the world. Um, that, that you know, researchers uh, show that, that religion is actually growing, that Christianity is growing, and also um, Islam is growing all over the world. So you have this, this rise and this interest in spirituality. Uh, we have an interest here this morning. We have, uh, you know, all of you here this morning who are here uh, for something, for some, for some reason. There's some, there's some interest, there's some desire for the things of the Spirit. Right? Um, whether it's whether you're religious or you're irreligious or you're Christian or you're not sure what you are, I think there is something in us that, that longs for the things of heaven. It longs for the things of the Spirit. As the, as the Psalms say, deep calls out to deep. There's something deep within us calling for something greater. Uh, and the reason why that is is because there's actually part of us that's made for heaven. The soul of you, the spirit of you is made for heaven and it longs for heaven and it's in some ways searching for heaven even though it's a, it's a blind groping and you don't really know what it is. Well, this morning, as we look at Genesis 28 and we talk about what it means for God to be spirit, uh, what I want you to, to simply see that is this, is that because God is spirit, um, we can come to know Him anytime, anywhere. But the heavens have been opened through Jesus for us 
to know God and to experience the things of heaven, the things that our soul longs for, that we desire most. And through Jesus, through, through worshiping Him in spirit and truth, we can experience what our soul desire. We can know God by spirit. So we're going to look at three things this morning. What is the spirituality of God? What is it? Why is it important? And then how do we experience it? What is the spirituality of God? Uh, what is it? Why is it important? And then how do we experience it? Um, kids, you guys can listen for a story about a woman who came to believe that Christianity was through, true through her daughter, in part through her daughter, through, through what God was doing in her daughter's life. And that might encourage you, um, you young ones. So first off, what is the spirituality of God? Right? When we look at this passage, what we see is that you have Jacob. Okay? We're, we're parachuting in here on Genesis 28. But let, me, let me just tell you that um, God came to a man named Abraham, and he gave some amazing promises to Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a great home, and I'm going to be your great God. And that man, Abraham, had a son. His name was Isaac, and he gave Isaac those same promises. And then Isaac had a son. He actually had two sons. He had a, a, an older son named Esau and a younger son named Jacob. And um, God promised to give these blessings to them, but, but things got a little bit hairy because Esau was older and Jacob was younger, but God decided he was going to give his blessings to Jacob. And so there was always this strife between Jacob and Esau. And Jacob was not a good person. Neither was Esau. Uh, and you'll, you'll see that in the, in the passage here. Uh, but uh, Jacob tricked Esau into getting God's blessings. Jacob was a liar. That's what his name means. Liar means deceiver. He was not a good person. He was not honest. Uh, the Bible, uh, especially the Old Testament, it, it's confusing for us because we often think of it as a story of heroes that each show us some good moral about how we can be a good person like Abraham and Samson and David and Jacob. But then when you get down in the nitty gritty of the story, you realize that all these people were deeply flawed in some way, including Jacob. He was a liar and a deceiver. And at some point, you know, after Jacob, after Jacob tricks his dad into giving him the blessing, um, the dad sends him to find a wife um, from, from their homeland because they were not supposed to take a wife from the other nations. They were supposed to take a wife from their own family. And when I read it earlier today, it just kind of dawned on me that um, when Isaac sends Jacob out, he might not have been happy about this. Like, he might not have been exactly happy with Jacob at this time. Like, he was, he was sending him out almost, because this is right after uh, he, he tricked him. See, Isaac loved Esau more than Jacob. And so he tricked Esau into giving him the blessing. And it's almost as if, as if Isaac is saying, fine, go ahead, take the blessing, get out of here, find a wife, and don't come back until you do. And so that's where we pick up the story. So Jacob is wandering from his homeland uh, where his family is back to uh, where his, the rest of his family is to find a wife. He's alone. He's in the wilderness. He's got nothing. Right? And you know that because he uses a stone for a pillow. Not much, you guys. I'm not an avid camper. But if I was going camping in the wilderness, I would not bring a stone as a pillow. Would you? That doesn't sound like the most comfortable thing. So you've got to ask yourself, why did he bring a stone as a pillow? He didn't have anything else. That's all he had. 
Now, if your dad was happy with you and he was sending you on a camping trip, don't you think he would give you something to sleep on other than a stone? I don't think Jacob, I don't think Isaac was particularly happy with him. I think he said, fine, get out of here, go. So he's alone, he's in the wilderness, he's got a stone for a pillow, he, he falls, somehow he miraculously falls asleep. He's better at sleeping than I am. And here in this dream, what happens? <laughs> There's this grand vision, and what does he see? He sees a, uh, what is often called Jacob's ladder. He sees a ladder stretching from earth to heaven. Uh, now, uh, Hebrew scholars believe that ladder was not necessarily like the ladders that we see today that's for one person that's very narrow. You can only have one person going up and down it. But it was probably more like a stairway. It was probably wider, something that angels, multiple angels, could ascend and descend on, right? So he sees this stairway to heaven. It's opened up. He sees angels in heaven, and he sees the Lord of heaven. Uh, and it says here, you know, in the ESV, it says it's, it's, he's standing beside it. Again, it's a little bit ambiguous as to what this means. Uh, but, but what a lot of Hebrew scholars think is that the Lord is not just standing beside the stairway, but the Lord is actually standing over Jacob. He's actually standing beside him, like on top of him. Like imagine, you know, you, you wake up from uh, parents, you'll know this, right? Sometimes, you, you know, your kids get afraid. They come in the middle of the night and uh, they, they're standing over you, just staring at you. You wake up and you're kind of startled, right? It's probably what happened here. Jacob, what's happening is God is revealing himself to Jacob. That, that yes, Jacob was in the wilderness alone, asleep on the pillow, but he really wasn't. That the heavens were opened up and he saw that there's an entire parallel spiritual dimension that God lives in that he could not see. That this God of the universe is knowable, he is real, he's, he's immaterial, so he's not or, made of organic compounds like you and I, he's immaterial, he's invisible, but he's real, and he's knowable, and he's actually personal. So when we talk about God being spirit, when we say God is spirit, that's what we're talking about, that God is a real, knowable person, even though he's immaterial and invisible. And he's actually uncontainable. Like that, because he's spirit, the, the, the heavens and earth, the world can't contain him. Uh, one of the things you'll see as you read through the Old Testament is God is very adamant that his people do not make, make an image of him. Now, why is that? It's because there's no image that can contain God. There's nothing on heaven and earth that you can craft that you say, okay, this is the Lord. This is what the Lord is. And, and sort of put him into it. He's uncontainable. Right? And so for us to say that God is spirit, we're saying that he is, uh, because he is spirit, he is available anytime, anywhere, any place, to any person. Right? That there's a real a spiritual being out there that we can know and that has actually come to know us. Now, if that's hard for you to believe, I understand. It's hard for me to believe too. But let me ask you this. Do you believe that you have thoughts? Yeah. 
Have you ever seen those thoughts? Are those, ta- are those thoughts material things? Do you believe that you have a soul? Yeah? Have you ever seen that soul? Is that soul a material thing? Do you believe that gravity exists? Have you ever seen gravity? Do you know how it works? Probably not. Can you see my thoughts? Have you ever seen another person's thoughts? All the wives said, no, nope, I've never seen my husband's thoughts. You can't. You cannot prove that another person has thoughts. So we actually believe all the time in immaterial things that are also real. Is it a stretch that if there is a God, that he could be immaterial, invisible, yet real and knowable? I don't think it's a stretch. It's a stretch to us because we're finite beings. But that doesn't mean it's untrue. Just remember, the mother of all heresies is this. If I can't understand it, it must not be true. Just because you can't understand something does not mean that it's not true. So, that's what we believe about God being spirit, right? That he's immaterial, invisible, but he's real and knowable and that he exists. Well, why is that important? Okay, here's why it's important. Because God is spirit, he is present with us anywhere at any time. Because God is spirit, he can be present with us anywhere at any time. Right? Our, our, I think uh, for a lot of us, our search for spirituality, our search for um, something greater than us is born out of loneliness. And that loneliness drives us to religion, and sometimes it drives us to irreligion. Sometimes it drives us to obedience. Sometimes it drives us to addiction. Uh, I remember as a kid, I used to watch MTV a lot. This was back when MTV... I thought MTV was cool. I watched a lot of MTV shows. One of them that I watched, I probably shouldn't have watched, was Celebrity Rehab. And, um, (laughs) sorry. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Um, On Celebrity Rehab, one time they had Dennis Rodman. I don't know if you guys remember Dennis Rodman. NBA bad boy, played for the Spurs, played for the Bulls. Also, fun fact, played basketball at a small college in Oklahoma. But Dennis Rodman was on there for addiction. He was actually, uh, it was a court-ordered mandate that he had to go through this addiction recovery plan process. And so, of course, it's Dennis Rodman. He doesn't want to be there. He's kind of a jerk the entire time he's there. He's making life hard for everybody. Well, at some point, they finally got him to open up about his addiction and began telling his story and began talking about why he was addicted and how he became addicted. And in his story, he said this. I'll never forget it. He said... I used to throw parties every night at my house. In the middle of the party, I would go upstairs and I would go to sleep. And the reason why I did it is I just didn't want to fall asleep alone. Our loneliness, our desire for connection with with another person actually drives our addictions. There's people out there and there's people in here that are addicted right now uh, to drugs, to alcohol, to pornography, to shopping, to food, to you name it. And what is driving that is a deep longing for connection. And what the spirituality of God shows us is that God is with you anywhere, anytime. He wants to be with you. You know what God's favorite preposition is? Kids, you guys learned about prepositions yet? Preposition shows a relationship between objects. 
What is God's favorite preposition? It's with. And he gives Jacob that promise here in verse 15. He says, I am, behold, I am with you. And when you know that God is with you, that changes everything. I heard a story this week about a pastor who was a successful pastor, uh, had, a, had a big church, wrote a lot of books, was in our denomination, was very well known, very famous, uh, unlike me, all those things. And, uh, but he also greatly struggled with depression. And his depression was growing and growing. It was getting worse and worse. It was building. He couldn't come out of this darkness. Uh, and one day he was talking with his wife and he said, I, I feel like we're getting to the point where my elders and my deacons just need to put me in a room, a padded room, and lock the door and throw away the That's how dark and depressed I feel. And his wife looked at him and said, well, if they do that to you, then guess what? They're going to put me in that room with you. And they're going to lock it up and throw away the key with me in the room with you. Because I'm not leaving. And that was the thing that brought him out of his depression. Knowing that his wife was going to be with him no matter what. No matter what. Changed his soul. That's the promise God gives you. Because of his spirituality, he promises to be with you. No matter where you are. No matter what you've done. Look at Jacob. Jacob is a liar. He's a deceiver. And yet God is promising to be with him. And he can do it because he is spirit. Um, because God is spirit, he is also present to protect us. Again, Jacob is in the wilderness alone. This is not like camping at Red River where your friends and family are around and there's police all. He's, he's in the middle of the Middle East in the desert. There's wild animals. There's, there's, there's nothing around to protect him. He's got stone unless he's David, which he's not. He probably couldn't do much of that stone. He's about to go to a foreign, you know, to a, it's his family, but it's a place that he's, uh, I don't think he's ever been. He's going to meet people he doesn't know. What are they going to do? We, get, you know, we find out Laban, his uncle, he goes to see as a liar and a, and a thief as well. How would you feel if you were him? You would be afraid. You'd be scared. And what does God tell him? He says, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. God is going to protect him on this journey. God is promising to protect him. And because God is spirit, God can be with him to protect him wherever he goes. God God is, like we sang earlier, thank you Kyle for for picking that song. God is our shepherd. And and Psalm 23 tells us his rod and his staff, they comfort us. The rod and the staff were used to protect the sheep. No matter where you go, God is with you to protect you. And he can be with you because he's spirit. And there's nowhere he can't go. And the reality is that wherever we go, there is a spiritual world around us where God is doing war for us. Uh, There's a story in 2 Kings where Elisha the prophet is um, being attacked by a foreign country. uh, And they're encircled by the enemies. And it looks bad, like bad, bad. Right? And he's with his servant, and the servant is freaking out, but Elisha's calm and he's confident. And the servant kind of looks at him and he's like, hey, bro, like, what's going on here? Why are you so calm and confident when we got all this army around us? And um, <laughs> Elisha, uh, 
says something and it reveals to the servant. The servant looks up and as the servant looks up, he realizes that they're not alone and they don't just see the enemy's armies. He looks around and he sees that all around them are the, the Lord's angels, the Lord's chariots, and the Lord's army. That, yeah, they were surrounded on all sides of the enemy, but the enemy was surrounded on all sides by God's army. There's a real spiritual war going on all around us. But all around that is God's army, that he is at work to protect us. If you're at the workplace and you're afraid of your coworkers and your boss, there's, the Lord is there to protect you. If you're at home and you're afraid because you're by yourself, your kids, I know you go to sleep at night and it's dark and you think mom and dad will save you and they will if they can, but at the end of the day, you just have to trust that the Lord is with you and that there are angel armies that surround you and that because God is spirit, even though you can't see him, he can see you as the children's catechism tells us. That God is, is with us. That he's there to protect us. He's there to guide us. And no matter how bad it gets for God's people, it's always going to end well. It's always going to end well. Um, there's, a, there's a book called uh, Everything Sad Untrue. Uh, it came out a few years ago uh, by a man named Daniel Nayeri. Um, he was... Uh, from the Middle East, and he, he grew up there as a young boy, and his family was not Christian. Uh, they were Muslims, because that's everybody in their country was Muslims. Uh, and one day, his sister was in her room, and, and they were, um, I can't remember what was going on, but, but she was in her room. I think they were, they were suffering. They were going through tragedy. They were going through hardships. And uh, she was in the room alone by herself. And she came out of the room, and she came out to her mother and to her brother, and she said, um, Jesus just came to me in the room. They're like, what? She was like, yeah, Jesus just came to the room, and Jesus told me that everything was going to be all right. And they were, they were shocked. Now, I don't think that's always how Jesus shows up, but he can, and I think he did. And Daniel's mom heard that story and she began pouring herself into the Bible and studying the Bible and studying the truth of the Bible. And she became a Christian. She converted in a country where you will lose your life and lose everything if you become a Christian. And that's exactly what happened to her. She lost everything. She was from a, 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 a bloodline of royalty. She was a doctor. She was well thought of, well respected in her community, wealthy. She lost all of that for the name of Jesus. She almost lost her life. They escaped from, um, I think they were in Iran. They escaped from Iran. Uh, they came to the United States. They moved to Edmond. They lived in um, the housing projects in Edmond. And when she would tell her story, these people, these Christians and people in Edmond would look at her and go like, why did you do this? Why would you give up this entire life in Iran? You, you, you were wealthy and you were happy and everything was going well. Why did you give this all up? And she just looked at him and said, because it's all true. It's all true. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know where you feel alone and afraid and scared and lost. But I know this. It's true. And because it's true, 
God is with you wherever you go. And I'll protect you. Because God is spirit, he is present with us. Because God is spirit, he's present to protect us. And because God is spirit, he's present to bless us. He promises incredible blessings to Jacob. Notice, like, Jacob is not doing anything to deserve this. He's not doing anything to earn this. He's actually doing the opposite in some ways. He he is, he, again, he's a liar. And God comes to this liar, and he blesses him. He promises to bless him. And and one of the things that scholars struggle with is Jacob is not repentant. He, he, is not, uh, he doesn't demonstrate really faith in the Lord at all. He even makes a really weak vow here at the end that basically says, okay, God, if you keep your word, I'll keep my word. It's terrible, but it's not good. Don't do that. <laughs> it's not how we talk to Jesus, okay? And yet God blesses him. He blesses him. And, and because God is spirit, God is still present today to bless us the way that he blessed Jacob. And and the the main blessing that he gives is the blessing of forgiveness. It's the blessing of forgiveness. And I think that's why he came to Jacob at this particular time. Think of all the times when he came came to Jacob and he came during this time. Why? Because Jacob was in the thick of his lie. The reason why Jacob was on this trip to get the blessing was because he was a liar. But guess what? He didn't leave his lies behind. His lies stuck with him. We are liars. We lie. We don't tell the truth. No matter how rigorous we want to be about being honest people, we all lie. We all shape the truth. We all deceive. And here's the thing about our lies. We cannot escape them. We take them with us. Uh, one of my favorite songs about lying is a song from the Abed Brothers called The Weight of Lies. Actually, the only song I know about lying. It's fantastic. <laughs> just, just listen to this chorus from them. The weight of lies will bring you down and follow you to every town because nothing happens here that doesn't happen there. So when you run, make sure you run to something and not away from because lies don't need an airplane to chase you anywhere. You can't run from your lies. You can't run away from them. So you've got to run to something. You run to Jesus who promises to forgive liars, who actually blesses liars. Now, how could he do that? Well, it's because God knew that one day, someday, he was going to send someone who was not a liar to rescue Jacob. And to rescue us so we can experience God's presence. We don't deserve to experience his presence. We get to because God sent Jesus so we can experience God's presence. Even in the midst of our sin. So how we experience the spirituality of God. Jesus tells us in John, in John chapter 1, uh, Jesus, uh, who he comes on the scene and he begins to call his disciples and, and that causes a great uproar. And one of the guys he calls is a man named Philip. And Philip goes and finds his friend Nathaniel. This is great evangelism, by the way. Right? This is how evangelism works. You find Jesus and you go tell other people about him. So Philip finds Jesus, calls Philip. Philip goes to Nathaniel says, Nathaniel, I have found the one that the scriptures tell us about. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. Come and meet him. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
Well, Jesus comes to find Nathaniel. <laughs> and when he comes to find Nathaniel, he, he shows up and he sees him and he's like, oh, a true Israelite, man. You are honest. You are plain speaking. There's no guile in you. And Nathan's like, how did, how did you know that? How do you, how do you know me? And Jesus says, before Philip came to talk to you, I saw you under the fig tree. He saw Nathaniel. Because in some way, even though he was in the flesh, he was also spirit. And, and, and I don't, we don't know what Nathaniel was doing. It's a great mystery. But whatever he was doing, Nathaniel heard that and he said, you are the Lord. You are the Christ. And Jesus said, if you think that's good, guess what? You're going to see something even greater. And this is what you're going to see. You're going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The Son of Man was Jesus' favorite title for himself. So what was he saying? He said, here, the angels are ascending and descending on the stairway, on the ladder. But Jesus says the angels are going to ascend and descend on the Son of Man. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that he is the ladder. He is the stairway. That if you want to know God and you want to experience his presence, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And the invitation is there for us to come to the Father through Jesus. But what we want to do is we all want to try to build our ladder so that we can build our way to heaven. The, these ancients, uh, when they're talking about the ladder or stairway, they, they had these ancient, what they call ziggurats. And a ziggurat is like a pyramid with steps up it. And when they built those, they were, what they were saying was, this is how you get to heaven. And the Tower of Babel was probably a ziggurat. It was probably something like a pyramid with steps on it. What we all are trying to do in our lives through our spirituality, through our technology, through our self-improvement, whatever it is, we are trying to build a stairway to heaven. And what Jesus is saying is, he's saying that you will not get there through your own effort. You will only get there through me and through my grace. And so if you want to know Jesus, if you want to experience God, if you want to, if you want to taste of heaven, the way to get it is through Jesus. It's through, through meditating on the gospel. It's not through your own performance. It's through looking at the performance of Jesus. It's through, it's through confessing, I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver. I'm, I'm alone and lonely because my sin has alienated me from, from the people in this world. I'm afraid. I'm fearful. I need Jesus. And then in John 4, Jesus goes to the woman at the well that, that Daniel read earlier. And he's talking to this woman. And he's inviting her to drink of the water that he offers, even though he doesn't have water or a bucket. And they get into this religious debate that I don't have time to go into. But he tells her that true worshipers are going to worship in spirit and in truth. The way we experience the spirituality of God is through the truth of the gospel and the Holy Spirit at work in that truth. If you wanted to know God and experience his presence, you, you meditate on the truth of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit until it transforms your heart and your mind. And it will. Because it's true. And because God works through it. It happens in corporate worship. Jesus promises that when two or more gather together in my name, there am I with them. God is with us even now. 
and it happens in your personal worship. I want to encourage you to develop a habit of personal worship, of reading and praying and meditating on Scripture, because God will be with you in those moments. And as you are filled with the Spirit in those moments, you will go out into the world and you will begin to see the world from a spiritual perspective and not an earthly perspective. And it will transform your life. I read a a story this week about a woman who converted from Zen Buddhism to Christianity. And she said her entire life, her, her Buddhist life, living as a Buddhist, she was trying to free herself uh, from herself, and she spent all this time in meditation and study and prayer. And, and one day she was actually um, she was supposed to go on a Zen Buddhist retreat, but then COVID happened and that got shut down, and she was left alone with her thoughts in her house all by herself, like all the rest of us. Uh, and it was there when she was alone that the truths of Scripture that she learned as a child become to come back to her, came back to her, and she came to faith in Jesus. And now she says that the way to experience God's presence is not through trying to free yourself of your own thoughts, but to focus your thoughts on Jesus. The more we begin to to worship him in spirit and truth, the more that our lives will be transformed and we'll experience the heaven that we long for. Let's pray that God will do that for us now. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It's true. It's true. Every bit of it's true. And we need it. We come to you this morning as as lonely, afraid frauds, just like Jacob, who need your grace and your mercy. So we pray, God, that you would give it graciously and kindly, just like you did to Jacob. Please forgive us. Forgive us for not seeing you at work in this world. Forgive us for questioning your goodness. Forgive us for just lying and being liars. We thank you that you love liars and that you graciously have paid for their sins in Jesus. That he was the only sinless person. That he was the true and greater Jacob, Lord. That he's the great ladder. We thank you that he came down to be with us. We pray, God, that you would forgive us and that you would help us to be with you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus we pray. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Westminster Shorter Catechism questions uh, four through six. I'll read the question and then we'll read the statement together. Uh, This affirms our faith. It strengthens us and it reminds us that this is true. I don't know about you. When it's just me, it's hard to believe these things are true. And part of the reason why we say them together is that we realize that we're in community. We believe things in community.